We'll enter a season in the life of the church called Lent, um, and we'll talk about that more later in our service. Uh, but the point for today is this, this marks the end of a season in the life of the church called Epiphany. And the emphasis during the season of Epiphany is the movement outward of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and God's kingdom, uh, the movement of this message into the world. And so this will be the last sermon in this series on how the good news of Christianity moves ahead in the world. Uh, Just uh, as a refresher, Christianity proclaims the message that through the life, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God is restoring the world, and He's making everything new. Even though when we go out into the world, it will appear in many respects that the world hasn't changed. Jesus said that His death did in fact defeat the powers of evil, and His resurrection opened the door on a new world. A new world that He would one day return to initiate completely. This is the message that the church has believed and that the church proclaims. This is the world the church also works for. Uh, just like in a garden, you cut back the overgrowth and you seek to you try to uproot all the weeds to allow life to thrive. Uh, the church seeks a world where sin and evil are pushed back so that love, kindness, and generosity can thrive. And this is the type of world we invite people into. This is what we're wanting to invite people into when we tell them the good news of Jesus. Now, the first way we talked about the good news moving forward is when we follow Jesus. So this is what Jesus does. Right after He announces the kingdom in the Gospels, He goes and He calls people to follow Him. This is the reaction if the kingdom of God is coming into the world, is that people will renounce their present ways of life, and begin to follow Jesus as the true King. You see, the spirit of our age is that we are masters of our own fate, that what we want, we should get. So when we choose to follow Jesus instead of our own inclinations, it suggests to the world that someone else is actually in charge, not us. That there's a better way of living than living for oneself, and that's to follow Jesus as King. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about hospitality being the face of God's love. The way people, God loves people throughout the Scriptures is by lavishing them with a rich feast and becoming the servant Himself. So if you can just imagine this, this is what God promises, that one day He will welcome us into His kingdom. He will let us be seated at His own table And He will become the servant. And He will serve us a rich feast. It's startling even to try to imagine this. What does God's table look like? It must be the most beautiful piece of craftsmanship we will have ever seen. And then, what will the food be like if God Himself is serving the feast? In the meantime... God calls on us to extend such hospitality to others. To allow hospitality to be a way that we build bridges in the world and we create fellowship and friendship. Then last week, we talked about caring for the needy as a way that we enact the good news that God is making all things new. 
this is why our church is becoming more and more involved in Elkton Area United Services, the social services agent in Elkton. Um, and we want to manifest uh, the good news of Jesus in even more concrete ways in our community in the days to come. The reason is because Jesus proclaimed the gospel as both the forgiveness of a person's sins and the restoration of a person's entire being. From top to bottom, from the inside out, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being of all people and of all the creation. So we labor for the overall well-being of our community as a sign that God's kingdom has come to Elkton and East Rock as well, that it is breaking in here and it will one day come fully. Now this week, this morning, I'd like us to look at the Christian call to character and to holiness, as the Bible often calls it, as another primary way the gospel moves forward in the world. Now, I don't think holiness or character has often been talked about in these terms as a way to advance the gospel. But I think this is exactly what God has in mind when He calls us to holiness and to character. And for many of us, uh, students, I think especially of you, I think holiness is the primary way God will use you to take the good news of Jesus to others to your friends and to those in your schools or or, uh, your friend circles. Let me try to show you what I mean. First, I want to remind us that we are called from the time we're children to the day we die through the help of God's Spirit to develop godly character, to become holy people. So the most encompassing description of God in the Bible is love, right? It says it explicitly. 1 John, God is love. But holiness is always right there, nipping at its heels, so to speak. When the prophet Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God, he cries out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And of course, this is the chorus of the angels in heaven in Revelation 4. It's the song that we join them in singing later in our service in the Eucharist. And then one of the resounding commands of the Old Testament Scriptures that makes its way into the New Testament is God saying to His people, You be holy as I am holy. What we get from all of this is that one of every Christian's primary vocations is to develop character that looks like God Himself. The God who's revealed to us in Jesus. And this is what Paul is aiming at in his letter to the Christians living in this ancient Roman city of Philippi. Let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, he tells them. This is a call to holiness to character that's consistent with the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Remember that with the gospel, we're saying through Jesus comes a new type of humanity and a new creation. So Paul's essentially saying, act that way. Live out the new humanity that's made possible through Jesus. You are no longer slaves to sin, so act that way. Live in the way of Jesus. And then he goes on to tell them what this looks like. It's a life patterned after Jesus who broke the cycle of living for self by giving himself for others, laying on his life. 
So I think what we need to see there here is that holiness is a way that we embrace the good news that the kingdom is here. We live into the new humanity that's made possible through Jesus. Now before we get too far into this, I do want us to notice the purpose. That holiness is not an end in itself. Paul tells them a few verses later, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So until just recently in our house, we had a mirror that was in between our kitchen and our living room. Um, If you were standing in the kitchen, you could look at the mirror and you could see into the living room. And the purpose of this was that when Katie was home with the boys on her own, her own and was working in the kitchen, she could look at that mirror and see what other, whatever mischief was developing in the living room, right? Or if she started to hear screams, she could very quickly see what was creating this situation. So this is an angled mirror, right? So usually a mirror, we look at it and we see ourselves, but then there are angled mirrors that, are, uh, that function so that we look at them and then we can see something else. This is the way that the Bible talks about holiness for God's people. It functions like an angled mirror so that when people see God's people, their character and their holiness, they are actually seeing the goodness and beauty of God. This is what we reflect. This is the purpose of our holiness. So, as we develop character and holiness, we become this angled mirror. We reflect the ways of God into the world the world He loves and is redeeming. So for instance, our willingness to renounce selfishness in our marriages, to ask forgiveness when we wrong someone, or our willingness to abstain from sexual relationships outside of a committed marriage. Those types of practices don't occur in a vacuum. They occur in a world that's usually bent on selfishness and they communicate to that world that there's a better way to live. There's a better way to be human. As I've said before, when we make these types of decisions, in a way, the kingdom bell tolls. And it suggests to the world that the world has a different king. It's not you, it's not me. It is King Jesus. And the best way to live is to follow Him in the world. So we're called to be holy, to develop character that reflects God Himself. And this isn't an end in itself. We're to be angled mirrors that reflect to the world the love and beauty of God. And the question, of course, is how do we do this? Uh, As I see it, there are at least three major hurdles to us growing in holiness. I'm sure there are more Uh, I'm going to talk about three this morning. I'm going to talk about two of them together, and I'll talk about one on its own just a little later at the end. Now, the first hurdle Paul identifies is me. And the second he identifies is you. Now, we could take this all the way around the room. We could reverse it. The first hurdle is you, and the second hurdle is me. And then we could all look at each other, and we could do this. The two first hurdles are you and me. And the point that Paul's going to make out of this is that character development or holiness is a team sport. 
It takes all of us. So virtue in the ancient world or the, the, the secular version of holiness in the ancient world was about becoming this uh, kind of this virtuous man, this virtuous individual. And in a way, this would bring some benefit to the polis, the entire city. But for the most part, it, it, it allowed this opportunity for a person to become prideful because they were virtuous. But virtue in Christianity is about the community not about the individual. It's not at the expense of the individual, but the individual brings itself to the community and blesses the community. So character development, holiness, is a team sport. Now, I should say, the people Paul's writing to, the people of Philippi, these seem to be pretty good people. Like, like if Paul had favorite churches in the way that we have favorite children, right? I'm just kidding. If Paul had favorite churches... Philippi would be one of his favorite churches. He he loves this church. He is intimate with them. But he also knows that every single group that has people in it is going to come back to the same problem over and over and over again. We have to be able to live together and love each other. Really care for each other. We have to be able to get along. And everything's going to be going really well, but then at some point, I disappoint you. I I wrong you. And there's a question of, what do we do now? At some point, you disappoint me or you wrong me. And there's a question of, what do we do now? And Paul's advice to get over this hurdle of myself and you is that we both have to turn the center of our attention away from ourselves and toward each other. I have to consider you and your interest in our conflict as more important than me and my interests. Even more importantly, I have to turn the center of my attention toward Jesus Himself and try to behave the way He did. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, He says. Now by the start of chapter 4 in this letter, we get a better idea of why Paul is hammering these things home. It's kind of abstract in chapter 2. Hey, you guys need to love each other, but then there are names in chapter 4. He writes in chapter 4, verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Uh, we took this off our list of baby names. If anyone wants to use these, you are have at it. He, he says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. And he's using the same language that he used in chapter 2 when he says in chapter 2, Think the same thing in the Lord. That's exactly what he tells Yodia and Syntyche, whatever. Uh, Think the same thing in the Lord. And we're sort of left hanging here. We want the scoop, right? Like, what's going on between Yodia and Syntyche? Like, we're, we're, we're used to the talk shows where we get to hammer this stuff out and really find who's at fault. And Paul doesn't tell us anything. Does he really care about who's at fault here? This makes me think of... uh, I know none of your kids like fight over a toy ever or fight over things. This has happened once in our house. That's it, right? No. It makes me think of these situations where the kids are are fighting over a toy. And there are times where you just uh, take the toy away, right? Nobody gets to play with the toy now. And a lot of times that's because I don't feel like I have the bandwidth to enter into a conversation about who had the toy first and who's at fault. Um, In other cases... It's because 
I think it's similar to what Paul is saying here. I'd like to think that anyway. One of the greatest failures we can have in being human is if we can't learn how to get along with other people and how to defer to others. This would be one of the greatest failures of Church of the Lamb if at some point there was a breaking because we could not figure out how to defer to each other and how to love each other. This is one of the greatest ways the church compromises its witness to the outside world when it cannot find a way to forgive each other, to love each other. This is one of the greatest failures in holiness. So Paul refuses to micromanage their lives and, and to tell them uh, you know, who's right, who's wrong, and how to deal with this. But he gives them instead the pattern of Jesus' life and then tells them, find a way to live together that looks like this. The life of Jesus, who gave Himself for others, who humbled Himself, did not grasp at His own right as a divine being, but He humbled Himself and laid Himself down for others. Through Christ, God is creating a new humanity. A humanity that doesn't live for itself, but instead lives for each other. And this is to be modeled to the world through the church's ongoing work of loving each other, failing one another, and forgiving each other. It's an ongoing cycle. Now still, there's the question of how we learn to do this. How we become these type of people. It's easy to talk about it. How do we do it? How does Asher become a brother who defers to his siblings, who thinks of them more than he thinks of himself? How do you become a friend or a spouse who does this? And I think Paul's answer to these questions would be, through the Holy Spirit, you practice. Through the Holy Spirit, you practice. This is essentially what he says in those last verses that Asher read for us. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I want to give you a story as an illustration and I have to give uh, credit to uh, a really good book on Christian growth and holiness by N.T. Wright called After You Believe um, for using this story in this way. So a lot of you will remember this 2009 uh, story of Captain Chesley Sullenberger. Uh, he's the airline pilot who just a few minutes after taking off from LaGuardia in New York, a, a cu- literally a couple of minutes, uh, flew into a flock of Canadian geese and they took out both engines of the plane. Um, his, his, he and his co-pilot were forced to make major decisions in a really short window of time about where to land. The closest airports would force them to fly into heavily populated areas. And if they weren't able to make it to the airport, they were risking many more lives than just those on the plane. So he decided without a better option, they had to try landing in the Hudson River. But landing safely on the river would require that they find just the right speed, just the right position of the nose of the plane, and that they land with the flow of the river. Otherwise, the plane would have been flipping and completely destroyed. And they would have to do all of this without their engines, right? And by some remarkable feat, they did it. It became known as the miracle on the Hudson. Now, we wouldn't want to 
discount that it was miraculous. But this story also has something to say to us about the Christian call to holiness, to character. Not anyone could have made that landing. Not anyone could have. When he performed it, Captain Sullenberger, Sully as he's been called, had over 40 years and 20,000 hours of flying experience. On the side, he was a gliding instructor, which was quite convenient because he had to figure out how to help get the plane to glide the distance that it would take to get to the Hudson River. And he also owned an airline safety company. So when the time came, his years of practice gave him instincts that enabled him to do what seemed impossible. It was a remarkable feat, but it was not one for which he wasn't prepared and equipped. This is the way that the biblical writers talk about holiness. The Holy Spirit tells us, develop new habits, and He helps us make small choices over and over and over, so that those choices become natural. They become our instinct. And when the harder decisions come, we're prepared. We're asked to to move away from this line of following God and the Holy Spirit. We're prepared to make that decision. So how does Asher become a brother who considers his siblings first? How do we become a friend or spouse who considers others before ourselves. We practice. We make small decisions over and over and we pray that God would make those decisions natural for us. And little by little, the things we used to do begrudgingly will become natural for us. This is what Paul is getting at. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. The point is that you do these things enough and you're praying that God would make it natural for you so that eventually those things that you used to do begrudgingly You do with joy. You do willingly. This is a primary vocation for Christians all our lives. To develop character and instincts that are patterned after the way of Jesus Himself. Habits of love and kindness that reflect back to the world the love of God. Now, very quickly, I I think there's one other potential hurdle to us becoming holy and developing godly character. And that is, we live in a time that emphasizes authenticity as the highest of virtues and that despises any type of moral superiority. So if you become a Christian, it's best if you have some really good stories to tell from before. Right? And even after you become a Christian, you should keep some of your rough edges just to stay relevant to the world. It's becoming more and more the case where to fit in, teenagers especially, you, you might feel pressure to play up your weaknesses and play down your devotion to God. I can remember distinctly situations from high school. There was a season in the middle of high school where my faith started to become more alive. I had a youth minister who was investing in me a lot, and I was becoming more serious about my faith. And it made some interactions more challenging. So I went to this vocational school as a senior. Half the day I would be at the vocational school. It was high school students from around the parishes, so at parishes in Louisiana. And at the time, there was this popular program for youth groups called True Love Waits. Anybody familiar with this? 
So you commit to remain abstinent, uh, sexually abstinent, until marriage. And you wear a ring, and you like get a card, all sorts of stuff. So somehow, while I was at this vocational school, uh, a group of the students found out that I had committed to this program. And I can remember today the reactions on their faces. At first they thought it was a joke, and they were laughing. And then they were trying to find a way not to laugh, and at the same time they were just they were bewildered. And this became a topic of conversation for the rest of the year that I was at this vocational school. The girls and the guys. It was terribly awkward. And one of the things they kept telling me is just loosen up. Enjoy yourself. I can remember a girl, this was terribly awkward, a girl in the school telling me, just just have fun. Enjoy yourself. Oh. You know, part of the reality is that when we choose to follow holiness, there's no way around these types of encounters. There's not. Students, you will at one time or another, maybe in small but very real ways, feel pressure to play down your devotion to God. You will. And in these moments, you need to know who you are and you need to know whose you are. That you are God's child and that He will take care of you. And adults, you face these pressures too. Don't take yourself too seriously. Lighten up. When the kids aren't around, just be yourself, which means act like you're in college again. Be a fool again. I do think that sometimes there's a temptation for us not to take our holiness seriously enough. Have you ever heard Christians say things like, we're just like everybody else? We just have grace? And and I know that the mentality, the sentiment is good. But I think within that, what we're trying to do is level the playing field. We're no different. And sometimes we really wish we weren't. We sometimes forget that God has intended our own holiness as one way that the world knows Him, knows His love and His beauty. And when we do take our holiness seriously enough, we will always face accusations of not understanding others, of being judgmental, or a variety of other things. And in those cases, we must again turn the center of attention away from ourselves. We must resist being defensive and we must continue on the way of Jesus because He too faced false accusations, but He continued to love others and to give Himself for others. We must continue on that way. So in conclusion, God is making all things new. That means He's making it possible for us to be human in the way that we were made. To live for each other in the way we were made. So let's be sure we're taking seriously the lifelong call to holiness. To developing the character of God so that we might be a reflection to the world of His love and His beauty. So that our lives together as families and as a church, as friends, will slowly but surely suggest to others that God is King and He is making all things new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.